All right, well, thank you all for coming here to my talk today on the culinary camp. Um, as Angela said, my name is Michael Beats. I'm uh, in my second year as an assistant professor in the exercise science department. I'm in the uh, health aspects of physical activity track. And my areas of interest deal with developing healthy lifestyles with children and adolescents, primarily with physical activity and nutrition, and so hence the culinary camp and kids. And so today I want to talk a brief history about cooking. I want to also touch upon the importance of cooking. We'll get into some theoretical model uh, that I've developed that kind of describes the culinary camp. And then I'll just show some photographs and what we did here at USC and, and um, also present some uh, information, some data that we collected. Uh, then I'll talk about some future directions that have come out of that, and then hopefully we'll have time, we should easily have time at the end, that we can open it up for discussion because what my uh, goal for today is hopefully garner some interest from other faculty in terms of wanting to partner and collaborate on this culinary camp idea and take it up to the next level. And so, but first of all, I thought Brooke was going to be here, but I have to make sure that I recognize her for all of her help at USC this summer uh, in their Discovery uh, Kitchen Lab and Brooke Harmon and the summer interns, which kind of sounds like a 50s uh, beach band, but they were very, very helpful in terms of making sure everything ran smoothly, helping me out with the kids. Um, and you'll find that from these pictures, you know, once you have a 20 to 25 third through fifth graders in a kitchen with knives and boiling water and all this kind of stuff, that um, it does help that you have qualified staff on hand to help uh, mitigate any kind of um, uh, injuries that might uh, come up. So first of all, I want to talk a little bit, of, hey, I want to talk a little bit about home economics and family consumer science and give you a little brief history about it to kind of frame where we're going with the culinary camp and why it came out to, or, or why it uh, had developed as it did. So if we think all the way back to 1862, we had the Morrell Act, which is actually the Land Grant Institute Act, that Congress started setting aside, or the, the government started setting aside money for all these new colleges. And part of what they wanted to do within these land-grant institutes is they developed this idea of domestic sciences. And this actually came, back, came earlier in the 1800s, but now they wanted to formalize it within the colleges where they want to teach management of the home and the family. So that comprises you know, um, sewing and also food preparation and preservation. Okay, So we're also talking like canning, those kinds of things. And this type of discipline really grew out of this idea that they wanted to educate farm wives in running households while all the men were going off to college to get educated in the agric agricultural sciences. Okay? And then come to the 50s and 60s, this was kind of idea, the, the home economics spurred this idea of the happy housewife, that we want to we teach women how to work well in the home, they love the kitchen. You know, there is some conspiracy theorists out there that say this is just a way to keep women in the home and in the kitchen as opposed to promoting it. Um, but we saw that during the 80s that we had a gradual disappearance of home ec and, we can, and up through the 90s and we can surmise that possibly that's from you know, greater um, emphasis on standardized testing. We get rid of all the, um, all, all the uh, 
arts and crafts and potential music and also home economics. And today, although family uh, and consumer sciences um, label has been used with home economics when it was first developed, that today home economics has reappeared as family and consumer sciences within the academic curriculum for schools. And so that in South Carolina, we actually have two um, family and consumer science um, avenues that deal with cooking. But we can see that these are electives and they deal with, you can do cosmetology, nail technology during middle school, uh, fashion and fabric, and then we can, in the middle school, we can also do food sciences one and two. And that um, has no cooking standards to it, but it deals with nutrition related topics, right? be it electives. And then when we get into high school, we have some food and nutrition one and two, and we have this idea of hospitality and tourism, and they introduce culinary arts where they have some cooking standards that are incorporated with them. And in fact, if you get on Richland One's website, they have fairly exhaustive criteria for cooking standards. However, this has to be um, framed within the context that this is an elective, so not all kids get this type of curriculum. So this is self-selecting into it. All right. So there is some culinary opportunities, um, learning these skills within the, um, within the school system. So why are we interested in cooking? Well, we know that the dietary patterns of U.S. youth are not what we would like them to be. High sugar sweetened beverages, sweets, low fruit and vegetable intakes. We also know that commercially prepared foods is increasing, or at least has increased from 89 to 2000. Uh, we know that eating, away home, eating foods away from home is associated with increased energy intake, you know, larger plate sizes at restaurants, um, and also low nutrient intake with less fruit and vegetables. And that home prepared meals are also on the decline. Although I read a little article that had no references to where they got this information, which suggested that maybe it might be increasing because of the economics that we're no longer going out to the restaurants nearly as much because it's more, cost, uh, it's more costly. But they didn't have a reference for that. And so I'm just throwing that out there and hopefully um, a peer-reviewed or a more credible source might be able to uh, um, co corroborate that information. But home prepared meals has been declining. Enter the 2005 dietary guidelines. So what do we want Americans to do? Well, we don't want them to consume lots of high sugary beverages and sweets and low fruits and vegetables. We actually want them to consume lots of whole grains, vegetables, and conversely, we want them to reduce sodium and fats. Okay. But we have to ask ourselves, if we're asking people to increase their whole grains and vegetables, well, how are we going to eat those? And sometimes we can eat these things raw but we're not asking people to increase their carrot sticks and celery stick consumption. We want to increase it across the spectrum of different things. And most of the things that we're asking people to increase in their diet, they need to be cooked. Okay? And so we're asking people from a public health perspective to increase the consumption of foods in the absence of developing skills in order to do so. So the question here is could preparation be a precursor to consumption? If I learn preparation-based skills, can that be a precursor to consuming higher levels of whole grains and vegetables? 
Well, we do know that the lack of competency in food preparation is actually a primary barrier for making more healthy choices. Additionally, it, in, it is a um, lack of competency leads to more convenient foods, and we could say that that's commercially prepared foods. And that food preparation skills have been identified to prepare more healthy food choices in the home. And so we think about cooking as a potential missing link here to eating healthier. And so the evidence to date would suggest that preparation skills are important to a healthful food choices and dietary intake. So if we're asking people to increase their food preparation skills or develop food preparation skills, so how are we going to teach or learn cooking skills? Well, traditionally in the home, we would have learned it from our parents. Right? But if we know that if home preparation meals are declining, then the opportunity to actually have that information passed down to generations is decreasing. And we know that in school, practical cooking skills are not emphasized, and I put mostly because we know that there are electives that you can take, but across, not, not all kids are going to get those types of classes. And that hands-on prepar hands preparation is lacking too. So in the school, we primarily deal with demonstration-based. Hey, I'm going to show you how to cook. I'm chopping and stuff. And then you might get to taste it. That's typically we de deliver culinary or cooking type of uh, education. And from several studies that have actually looked at hands-on versus demonstration-based, it should be no surprise that the hands-on actually led to greater behavior change and the, and the mediational things of attitudes and beliefs changed more positively than those that just received demonstration based. Okay. And we could think about just about any domain. When we actually have people doing it, they're probably going to learn more than if they're just going to watch somebody do it. Right. And it's actually hands-on um, cooking classes are actually a preferred method of delivering nutrition education. So the idea here is that if we're not getting it in the home and it's little, little is being emphasized in the school, then these things need to be learned outside the, the school and the home. This leads us to the culinary camp. So the culinary camp, and I've been doing the culinary camp over four years. Okay. Um, it's developed based on this experiential framework where the kids are autonomous agents that come in and I just provide the context and they do everything. I provide the foods, I provide the recipes, but they are the ones that are doing everything from pulling things out of the refrigerator and out of the pantry all the way to mopping up the floors at the end of the day. Okay. And so these kids, when they come into the culinary camp, they get direct experiences in preparing a wide variety of foods. And here we're talking about it from scratch. So it's none of this pre-box made stuff. We, do, we make everything from scratch. And so in its purest sense, cooking is defined as applying heat to food. And I like to think of it as placing two or more ingredients together. But also, I think that it requires selection, measurement, uh, utensil use, combining heating ingredients in order to produce a meal. So that's how we define cooking here. So no, no uh, shortcuts. So a conceptual model of the program. Well, the culinary camp consists of various elements, and I'll talk a little bit more about these in detail. But we, we work with, on kitchen-related skills, such as knife techniques, 
various cooking techniques, sauteing, um, braising. Um, we also work on knowledge that's infused within the actual doing of the cooking. So we look at nutrition label reading. We go over culinary terminology. We also review the food guide pyramid as we're going along and look at the ways, the, the types of foods that we're eating and how they fit within the pyramid. Um, and then they're also le learning an important skill about following directions with the recipes, about reading it, understanding the various stages. Um, and you could also say there's potentially a math component in there with the m measurements and either having to double a recipe, triple a recipe, divide, making a recipe in half. As part of the culinary camp, we expose our students to various cuisines. So we deal with like an Asian or Italian theme for the day. We might do a breakfast theme. Or we might do different meals, such as how to build a better salad day, and discuss about different things that we can put on a salad apart from iceberg lettuce and shaved carrots and ranch dressing. And then also something that's relatively new within the culinary camp, we've been trying to introduce this idea of a behavior contract where we have the kids say, look, I'm going to sit down with my parents and identify one day a week where we're actually going to make a meal together and sit down as a family. And so that was introduced because we've had difficulty in actually transferring, increasing the number of times that kids are cooking in the home. All right. So we're, we built that in as possibly another mechanism to bring the family in and try to um, demonstrate these skills outside of the culinary camp. But what we attempt to do through the culinary camp, through these curriculum-based components, is that we immediately we try to increase you know, your general uh, mediators of self-efficacy, knowledge, enjoyment, perceived ability, and potentially diversity in food preferences because we're having kids try things that they never would have tried before or had never been exposed to. And hopefully this then translates into they like to prepare food more. And ultimately our outcome is we expect that we want to increase food preparation in the home. But as I said, we have some difficult, we have some barriers that we need to overcome in terms of the way that we're delivering the curriculum and how it can be then transferred outside of the kitchen setting into the home. So when the kids go home, are they cooking? But we expect from being exposed to the culinary program that you're going to increase food preparation in the home. And the experiential framework really targets these immediate outcomes and again, I said about autonomous, independent of the instructor. So I the kids are in charge, and I just hover, and I go around. So I, I view it as I am the conductor, and they are the orchestra. And so they're making music, and I'm just making sure that they make the music in the right order so it sounds like a concerto, um, rather than just a bunch of hodgepodge instruments together. So they take an active participation in the selection, the preparation, and the consumption of foods. And as I said before, we do regional and culturally diverse foods. So here in South Carolina, we're trying to get more regional foods that they would be exposed to. Collards. How do you, how do you cook collards that makes them palatable? Um, versus, you know, submerging them in pork fat. And, and stuff. So there are various things that we work with that are local. 
And then we also discuss the types of food prepared, difficulties encountered, and at the end we talk about the nutritional composition from a macro level in terms of food groups that were represented within the meal that we created that day. But there is some idea that perhaps the big picture here with the culinary camp is that in terms of increasing food preparation in the home, we might actually increase family meals together. And we might actually increase a healthy diet, healthier dietary intake. And there's some suggestion that from increasing mealtimes together or with the family, that adolescents have increased dietary intake, uh, a quality dietary intake of fruit and vegetables. So when adolescents that dine more with their parents have better diets, and they're at actually at a lower risk for disordered eating. So there are some benefits here. If we can increase food preparation in the home, that perhaps these other more distal outcomes could emerge. And also, the frequency of family dinners is associated with the lower risk of being overweight, and interestingly, it's for a lower risk of substance use or abuse and increased academic performance. And we can probably think of a numerous reasons of why that's happening, and it's maybe just the context of the family sitting down together and not necessarily because they're sharing a meal. But again, these things have been identified as potential outcomes from simply just sharing a meal together with your family. So if we go to this big picture here, that in the long run, we would like the culinary camp to have some impact on these decreased substance use, uh, improved academic performance, perhaps re reduce the risk of obesity, and uh, have life, instill lifelong healthy dietary habits and optimal growth and development. Okay? So that's the big picture. But I've been focused here on how can I increase this, increase the food preparation in the home. So I went over a little bit about the culinary camp curriculum, but in brief, the youth that we deal with here are anywhere from elementary to middle school. I've done the culinary camp from sixth to eighth graders, and this last summer at USC we did third through fifth graders. Um, and there's a big developmental difference there between those, but I was very surprised how the third and fifth graders actually work together. So having younger ages is not necessarily an issue here. Um, and we divide these, uh, we divide the kids up into work groups and we have about four to five kids per group and about 20 to 25 kids per session. And they come in for five days a week, five hours at a time. We divide them up into their work groups and they each have their own little kitchen station that they work at. And that we go over some food safety and personal hygiene, how to wash your hands, the ABCs of hand washing, cross-contamination. We also um, do some little short cooking demos, like, uh, okay, how do I chop properly without slicing off the tips of my fingers? Um, how do I use various types of uh, techniques? How do I flip on a pan without using a spatula? How can I flip with a pan? Those kinds of things. We talked already about the themes. But importantly, the last day of the culinary camp, so it's a Monday through Friday, the last day is an open day, where Monday the kids are divided up into their groups, and then they're told that by Thursday they need to decide on a recipe that they are going to make for Friday. So they have to bring in a recipe on Thursday, and then on Thursday we go to the grocery store and get those ingredients for that, for that meal 
on Friday. And oftentimes we try to theme it so that it might be that, oh, we're going to do Asian on Friday, so you have to find a recipe that is from the Asian culture, whether it's Vietnamese, Thai, you know, Chinese, Japanese, whatever it might be. It just has to be along a theme, or else we end up getting just various different things that don't really go well together um, for a meal. Uh, but this builds in the idea that it's kind of that this autonomous that's self-directed, that they have a little bit of a say as to what's going on instead of just what I want them to cook. And all the kids cook something different for the meal. So we just don't have one recipe that then every group makes. We actually have five or six, sometimes we have eight recipes that are part of a larger meal that we're putting together. And so on any given day, some kids might be making a main course, some kids might be making an appetizer, some kids might be making a dessert, some kids might be making sauces. And so everybody plays a part in the whole meal coming together. And that way we can get a huge variety of different things for the kids to be trying. <clears throat> Additionally, that during our preparation, if there is some idleness, we have the kids set the tables. So they also have ownership over putting out the linens, getting out dining ware, and putting out the silverware, and the, and the plates, and the cups, making sure napkins are on the table. So they're doing everything that corresponds with cooking potentially in the home. And then after preparation, they are also in charge of cleaning. Okay? Because nobody likes to clean, and in fact, that's one of the major barriers to cooking in the home. I just don't want to clean, apart from having no uh, preparation skills. Okay? So they're in charge of cleaning up everything afterwards. It's from sweeping the floors, to wiping off the countertops, to putting things in the dishwasher. And we also talk about the different types of food categories that were present in the meal. So at the end, they're all sitting in their tables, they're all eating, and then we had a, um, we didn't have a whiteboard, we just had a um, little flip chart thing, and we would write down the different food, um, food categories that we had from the food guide pyramid. <clears throat> and so part of the culinary camp experience is that we begin to learn how to read recipes and, importantly, work together on things. You know, shared responsibilities, okay, you got to cut last time, I'm going to cut this time. Oh, somebody needs to get me X ingredient out of the pantry. No, I can't find it. Can somebody help me locate these things? And so we have the kids learning how to read recipes from the start to finish. We also have them learn various kitchen skills and be exposed to using appliances. So we have mixers here that they've never used. This young lady here has a boat motor or a hand blender that she's using to create a sauce with. Uh, it's hard to tell here, but this young lady is using a zester and getting out the lemon zest for a recipe. Um, we have this young man here learning how to make a, uh, a custard bath for the uh, starter for um, homemade ice cream. And so all of these various things that they're being exposed to that they might not have um, ever been involved in. Additionally, we get our hands dirty at the culinary camp. And this is very important because a lot of these kids, or kids in general, have icky, gooey, yucky kind of you know, things going on. And so we try to get them to touch things and be around things that maybe they didn't want to ever be involved with in the first place. And you can see that this young man and this young lady are working with whole raw chickens. 
And so they're learning that, oh, okay, when we're doing this and we're baking them in the oven, that we have to put our fingers underneath the skin, we have to pull it out so we can shove herbs and various spices into underneath the skin so that when it bakes, it all infuses within the meat. We have kids here making manicotti, and so they're stuffing the noodle shells. And then we have this young man who was in the process of making his uh, homemade pizza dough dough and so you can see that potentially he needs to add a little bit more flour to to it because he's getting a little sticky okay. we also make real food and we take pride in it and so it's very surprising to see these kids and they'll be making something and they are so proud of it and they just want to try it because they made it and so you know we're making these salads with various berries on top of it we have some type of, I think this was a, uh, a tomato-based sauce that's being made. Uh, some young girls, they wanted to make empanada dough and make empanadas. Okay? I was like, sure, it's fine with me. Um, we have you know, uh, sautéed peppers and chicken and, and for uh, fajitas. And so all of these things, and surprisingly, once they make it, they definitely want to try it. Okay? When in fact, they might not have wanted to try it in the first place. We also share food with our friends. And so at the end of the day, we sit down, we, go, we make a line along the countertop, and we put out all of our food, and we make a buffet line, and then the tables come up, and they, we dish out their food, and then we sit down and we enjoy the meal together. So another important process of not only making food, but also sharing food with individuals. And I talked about that they also take responsibility for any messes that they make or they clean up after themselves. So we have young lady uh, mopping uh, and sweeping the floors, loading dishwashers, cleaning off stovetops, washing dishes here. And so we're going through the whole gamut from the start to finish on this. So what have been some of our outcomes from the culinary camp so far? Well, we've been able to influence those immediate outcomes about increasing self-efficacy for cooking, knowledge, we've been, able to, we've been able to increase perceived cooking ability, and we've actually been able to decrease some negative attitudes towards cooking. Okay. However, and as I stated before, we've actually had a hard time trying to improve the number of times kids cook in the home. And so this has been something that I've been trying to brainstorm about, about how do I actually improve that and overcome some of the issues and so we've gone in and we've stepped, on, or, or, or stepped into asking some parents some information about possible future directions about how we can overcome this. And so some parent feedback that we've received has been that they would like to see some homework being incorporated into the culinary camp, like sending home recipes that they do, that the kids would have to be part of or that the parents would have to help them either go grocery shopping for ingredients um, and then preparing it as a family. One of the issues there is that whether or not families have the means to buy certain ingredients, so we have to be conscientious of what we're sending home for the kids to cook. I'd even thought about making, you know, um, I've been part of, you can do like little food drives where you make dried soups 
in cancers and they're the multi-layered colored dried soup mixes. So something like that could be made that they, the kids take home and then make with their families and stuff. So you could make it within the culinary camp. And so that way you're not asking families to purchase any ingredients specifically. Um, some of the parents have actually said that they would like to attend the culinary camp. And unfortunately though, that might dictate that we actually change the time that the culinary camp's given, because right now it's during the weekday for five hours a day, starting from nine to two, or is it 10 to two? But anyway, it starts at nine, nine to 10, nine to 10 o'clock in the morning, so most parents are at work. So we'd have to say, well, are we gonna deliver it in the evening? Are we gonna deliver it on the weekends? How are we gonna do that? And it also changes the class structure, because the times that I've had parents in the kitchen with their kids, they take over and they don't allow their kids to do things. And so having the parents in the same class might not be the best ideal situation. So here we have this idea of could we create a separate class that would um, you know, be for just the parents because many of the parents have actually said that they wanted to learn some of these techniques too. So not only are their kids interested, but the parents are interested in improving their own cooking abilities. So it's possible that two classes could be created here. Now that means we'd be doubling our efforts, but that's one way of potentially incorporating parents into it. Another um, issue that came up was time, and that's not surprising when it comes to our busy schedules these days. And so what I've been thinking about is potentially 30-minute meals. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with Rachel Ray, and she might actually provide a foundation for quick meals that we could teach people to cook. So instead of spending five hours in the culinary camp uh, per day, which by the way is five packed hours, there is no idle time from the time they get there to the time they end. It's all consuming of cleaning, preparing, eating. Um, and so we'd have to say, well, if we're gonna do a 30 minute meals, maybe we need an hour or two hour sessions. But also, some of her meals really require that you have skills prior to making them. So it might be that you have to have some longer sessions to learn some basic skills, and then it can trickle off into shorter sessions later on. But those are some future directions that I've currently been um, rolling around here trying to think of what might be the best way to incorporate additional components into the culinary camp to increase food preparation at home. And so with that, I just want to say thank you and open up for some audience feedback here about um, any thoughts, ideas, possibilities with the culinary camp. And this is actually, uh, this is one of our camps uh, over the summer. We had two sessions and um, the kids came in from the YMCA is where they were brought in from. Oh, okay, so their demographics, well, you can see we have, uh, we have about an equal proportion of males and females. We have um, African-American. Uh, we also have kids that are on scholarships from the YMCA, meaning that they get their um, activities paid for because they are of, in need by the YMCA. So we do have quite a diversity of demographics here. I don't have that kind of information, yeah.
Okay. Like the parents come there, and that may like to bring to initially bring some parent involvement mm -hmm. in because I think part of it may be that the parents don't believe that their kids like their kids may come home and say I want to do this, and the parents may be hesitant to believe that they've really gained that ability in five okay. days. Yeah. So I think maybe if you had that final meal thing with the parents, I mean, they may be more likely to get excited about it and then trust that they're, I don't know. And then allow them. I like that idea of opening up the Christmas mm -hmm. Carol has done that with big kids in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. And I think the parents, kids, the parents would yeah. believe, put the, the kids have self-efficacy, but it's increasing the parents' efficacy in their child. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then obviously do it either a Friday night, but you know that's so hard. So you know, do it like on a Saturday mm -hmm. afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, just an idea to bring. To, yeah. To, to, it's a way to at least get the parents initially involved without having to plan a whole session for parents and all that. Yeah. And then the end of the camp party. Yeah. That, that the kids prepare the food and the parents are invited <coughs> as the guests. Mm -hmm. That's good. Put some things on paper and stuff like that for them to, uh -huh. um, to do them. That's what, that's what I was thinking because okay. if you could control the parents, quote unquote, and not interfere, like let the parents walk, observe and then the, the kids can help elaborate later what they were doing and that sort of thing. That's what, you know, and then maybe also you could break off and have the parents um, with some education for the parents and stuff, the nutrition education. Yeah, while, they're, yeah, while no, their kids are preparing. Them, don't, yeah, don't have them just show mm -hmm. up for the meal, but have them be there that last. Okay. Observing but not taking over. I mean, you know, I was taking yeah. through, but initially I think it would be. Yeah, because there's two rooms there at the, there's a, the kind of the little, I think it's about this side, size, on the other side of the kitchen. So that could be a place where the parents are receiving something. Okay. Yeah, that's great. What about, um, so these are from the summer, right? Mm-hmm. But um, what I was wondering was some type of reunion to get the group back together that then they can report back and say, well, I cooked dinner for my family one night a week for the past month or for the past two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. Tend to pull it from the same I know there's no guarantee, but they tend to come from the same di school district. Like, I mean, because everyone's yeah. not guaranteed. But they tend to, 
specifically to frame it on a parent-teacher conference day where the kids would not be in school. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, so because it's, it's usually happens about halfway through the semester anyway, which is, you know, just another time. So it also helps the parents because they don't have to take care of that day. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So it's only a handful of kids, but, you know, just, I know, I know they're not all from the same town, but, you know, something where they would feel excited to do it too. Yeah. But that might be a Saturday thing. Yeah, or a Saturday thing. Yeah. A weekend thing. Then you run into the problem is then you run into sports and you know that's yeah kind of that's so you know just yeah sometimes schools start school fest development day yeah the days that the kids are excused from school I mean the districts tend to overlap on those days mm -hmm. relatively I mean, yeah like all of Richland one like, yeah all of Richland yeah, yeah those yeah, would do district yeah I mean but. well I think all of these kids were from Richland one but they were coming from Jeep Rogers is it Richland two I think that might I think there were Richland 1 and Richland 2 kids because R Jeep Rogers, I don't know if you, YMCA, out by Lake Carolina, they, they take a lot of the kids, so they've, they've um, the downtown Y no longer has a summer program, so they ship them out to various other locations, like the Lexington, the Irmo, and the Jeep Rogers one. So you get kids from downtown here, and plus kids from the Lake Carolina area, so you do have quite a diversity there in terms of uh, their backgrounds. And so what kind of cost do you make? Um, they pay, you know, I forget what the why, so I don't make any money on this. I don't, I don't get paid to do it, so it's, it's all volunteer time for me. The kids, I believe they pay their normal camp fee, and if I'm correct, for a week's worth of camp, I think it's like 100, 125, but our food costs, in back calculating out cost per kid per meal, it's only like three bucks a kid. And we eat some really nice food, too. So our food cost per meal per kid is not that great. Um, but they do have to pay their regular camp fees. That's why I said that there are some kids there that are in need, and they had some scholarships. Like the Y always has a batch of scholarships that they'll give out to kids that can't pay to come to summer camp. And that's how they register for the camp, the Y. Yes. Yeah, it's one of their options um, instead of it just being open to whoever because that, what the Y does is they actually get everybody there, they bus them in, and then they bus them out because we're kind of in a, you know, being here in the university, we don't have a catchment of kids that just naturally come to the university because we don't have our own summer program, um, so, um, which is where I've drawn kids from before. No, we actually had a summer program called Kid Spirit that this was a part of it, where every summer on the Oregon State um, campus you would have about 500, I think, 5 through 15-year-olds all over the place in various activities and stuff all summer long. It was great. Mm-hmm. We do all the shopping just because we don't have the means to take them to places. So in, in prior, um, in prior um, running of the camp, we would do a lot of biking and we'd bike to the grocery stores and stuff and actually do grocery store scavenger hunts. But we don't have the means to get all these kids around and there's nothing very conveniently located in terms of a grocery store or something to take these kids to or even just to expose them to things. So, but that, no, that is a good idea of taking them to the grocery store and, and having them look at stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. How far does the yeah. U.S. see travel go down to Bay? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a logistical nightmare, but I don't know. Maybe it's a logistical nightmare, but. Ed. I'm guilty of that. There's, there's dealing okay. with that. There's the issue of inevitably there's going to be changes in family routines. There's going to have to be some way to accommodate this. And so, and there's, I'm sure there's others. So whatever those things are, some explicitly would have to be done to, to address that. The other thought that popped into my mind is that in the United States, we um, seem allergic to this idea. But in other places, the... Um, the notion of making things conditional has really taken hold. And so I was wondering, I was trying to think through, is there a way to build in that, okay, your child can participate in this, but it's, it's the idea of behavioral contracts, but, but being stronger about it and saying, okay, you can do that, but you're required to do certain things. And one way to try to enforce that, well, the way it's enforced in other places is because you lose your benefits if you continue, right? Well, you don't have that opportunity. But another way to do it might be to, I don't know, get the YMCA to agree to set aside a little bit of money to have a $100 lottery, but in order to be eligible for the lottery, you have to do something in the next month following. You know, I'm, I don't mm -hmm. know, be creative about something mm -hmm. like that so that um, people really have an incentive to, to try. Otherwise, they won't. Okay. So there's some contingencies to not yeah. doing it yeah. and some benefits, too. Thanks, Ed. You know, how much they liked it or how well it went or some type of feedback that, you know, you've got some homework. I was going to say the grading part, I was thinking you can't take a picture. I was actually thinking because I know part of it is getting that. Yeah, the picture idea I've thought of. The photo voice, like it's a photo voice thing. What I was thinking about Just verification that it's been done. Verification. Because we trust the kids. It's the parents that may say, okay, well, let's just say they did this to get us eligible for a bowl. You know what I mean? So I trust the kids. Yeah. 
and potentially taking photographs of the meal preparation and, yeah, and, and, and the and actual and meal itself. Mm -hmm. They become artifacts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Or their worry about their kid being in the kitchen. Yeah. So, well, and you still wouldn't want to say do this when no adult is home because no, 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 no. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like you want the, the you know, you, the parents should still be around. You know, it's not like okay, you know. Well, and I, I say the word should cautiously because a lot of these kids are probably latchkey kids. I was a latchkey kid. I cooked for parents at home, but you know, what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, and that's the thing is like encourage the parents. I guess we encourage the kids to talk with their parents and be accessible to you after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know, and just say, well, this is, we, I, I'm not allowed to touch the stove when my mom isn't home or my mom gets home from work so lately. What can I, what can I do so I can still cook or something like that? Because those are those logistical real barriers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so this one was third through fifth, and we've also done it with sixth through eighth. And so the sixth through eighth might have a little bit more autonomy at home yeah. in the kitchen rather than the third through fifth graders. But we just happen to have third through fifth because that's who the Y decided was going to get this. So really, in talking with the Y, I can have them bring any age group potentially to the camp. I've actually had one child come three times over the summer for three separate sessions. And these, the, the stuff over, uh, over the last summer at USC was only a one-week session, so you had five days of it. So, it's, so we're hitting you for you know, 25 hours, and then you're gone. Whereas in prior conceptions, it was four days a week, Tuesday through Friday, but it was for two weeks for four or five hours at a time. And we had one girl come for all six weeks or three sessions. She was good by the end, too. Yeah, um, I do know that some of my best anecdotal evidence comes from the parents saying what their child is doing. And in fact, her parent had said, she corrects me when I'm doing things in the kitchen now. And so there was some of that, but whether or not, she, you know, addressing those questions, no, I didn't, we didn't, I mean, it was only one girl and stuff. Um, but she was very competent at the, towards the end of the six weeks worth of the culinary camp. Anything else? You made me feel guilty. No. <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm thinking that if you want to have more of an impact in the home, mm -hmm. one of the barriers, and I don't know how to overcome this, but what's certainly a barrier is <clears throat> the lack of planning of meals on the part of the parents. Yeah. 
so that's that was part of the that homework idea that the parents were throwing out there like planning stuff and getting that all together because if you don't have the ingredients i mean i know yana for instance our daughter she will come up with an idea and then she'll say do we have this and i'm saying girl i'm sorry we don't have that and then you're and then you're kind of stuck either you drive to the grocery store right yeah then or yeah you know. well the kids are so spontaneous and they often do things in a very short Notice. Yeah, and and then they'll lose interest if it doesn't. Sadly, they will yes. lose interest. So having sort of an environment that's conducive to that, and that takes some advanced planning on the part of the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. relative to the stock Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so and I was trying to make a link to how maybe this could be applied to that, and maybe I was stuck on that idea a little too much. But um, but the idea is that if you know, if there are any grant opportunities, they have these kids recruit kids from different or certain uh, income levels and get parents and children involved. Um, so that, I think that's kind of where my question was: you know, figure out what they eat at home or what they don't. Mm-hmm. And maybe more effort on your part, but more of a tailoring right. to the but individuals. Again, I mean, it's, you can't meet time, you know, it's intervention, so you can't do it at a public health like wide level, but mm-hmm. you can still do it at the you know, local level, and that, that might be an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's very good. Well, with the Y, I can ask them. I just want them to bring the kids that are getting all the scholarships. Say, advertise this only to the scholarship kids. 
you know, which would tap into some of that population. Because yeah. it's generally a catchment area that's right around here, around the downtown area. Yeah. Very good. All right, we'll see you all in the summertime to help me with the culinary camp, right? <laughs>